0: And welcome to a fairly overexcited 50th edition of the Not The Top 20 podcast. George Ellick to my right. I'm Ali Maxwell and we're talking Football League EFL content. And not only is it a landmark for us as our our 50th, but while we're excited about that, what we're really excited about is that this afternoon, quite out of the blue, really, we found out that we've been nominated for the FSF Awards 2017 best podcast of the year award, which seems completely ridiculous. The FSF is the Football Supporters Federation and the awards do is, well, it's pretty swanky. It's, it's, to our eyes, pretty important. And it's unbelievable that we've been nominated alongside the likes of Quickly Kevin, Will He Score, Football Weekly of The Guardian, of course, the Totally Football Show, Second Captains, uh, the Indie Football Podcast. These are the biggest football podcasts around. And Somewhere, somehow, ntt 20s popped in the mix, and George, I think it's fair to say that we are <laughs> astonished, flabbergasted, as you said on Twitter, but also in feeling unbelievably blessed and, and very lucky.
1: I think it's quite symbolic for a podcast that specialises uh, in not the top 20, that, you know, producers and presenters and guests from those podcasts will look at that list of pods and see us and think, who are they? <laughs> and never would have heard of us before, but we're delighted to be there. I, I'm, yeah, I'm fairly shocked. Um, but uh, I'm glad that whoever you know whoever put us up for nomination, and that the judges who must obviously know what they're talking about have decided to to include us, and we're looking forward to. Um, y you, you know, I don't think we're going in with much expectation to win it, but we're just going to enjoy being there. And we're really, really happy to have got some
0: recognition. Definitely. You can vote for us on the FSF website, fsf.org.uk. Head to our Twitter at NTT20pod if you want to find the link that way. We are, as you say, not going in with any expectations, but we're very excited just to be representing um, you lot, really, because we're, as always unbelievably grateful someone's nominated us for a start which we didn't know about so thank you to whoever that was but not only that uh, everyone's support sharing over the last whatever it is 18 months is it's been everything that we needed really to get anywhere and we're incredibly grateful and specifically to some of the people whose opinions we valued uh, who at the very start we targeted to be people that could help us um, and give us legitimacy and I'm thinking without wanting to name too many names and, and upset people, people like Mark O'Hare and Mike Holden, Gab Sutton and, and, and similar people like that who have been hugely supportive the whole way through. So thank you, everyone. And thank you to everyone who has sent in questions for today's Q&A podcast, because I think these pods are something that we love doing. Um, they give us great content for it and they they let us just sit back, take your uh, questions and and rattle through them. So we've not made this this agenda we're just going to go through them and starting with with freddie cocker who has asked us who is in most danger of becoming the next casualty in the football league sack race now for context lee clark of berry uh, removed of his duties last night and george you know we're at that stage of the season where quite a few managers have left and so you know you have to look you have to sort of scour a little bit to work out who might be an obvious favorite at this point is there anyone that sort of catches your eye
1: um, I think it might be someone, someone we're going to talk about. We're planning on talking about a bit more in, in the future, so we can kind of uh, marry the two. But I think that, rightly or wrongly, Stam is obviously someone who's looking um, vulnerable at the moment. Uh, obviously, we're recording this just before they've got a pretty tough home tie against Nottingham Forest, which I think if he loses that, that could be curtains for him. I don't. Well, think ha-
0: not- Harry's asked us later on. We'll, we'll address it now. How long should Stam be given at Reading? How, what do you think about that? Because he's not on my list personally of people about to get sacked.
1: Um, well, yeah. I mean, uh, that's exactly what I what I basically think. Um, in that, I don't think he should necessarily get sacked. I don't think he should necessarily be under pressure. But I think that you know we, we said a lot on this podcast that he's a victim for his own success. I think that expectations for Reading this season were too high. Um, I think that you know a, a safe mid-table finish should should have been seen as, as not only attainable but but almost a success. And the fact that they're um, languishing down towards the bottom of the table means that maybe. He is under pressure after that great start last season. But I think if you break yeah. down their squad, um, many, many Reading fans have pointed out to me their injury problems as well. So if you yeah. take that into account, then I, I think it's a bit unfair that he's coming under such scrutiny. Um, I think that Robbie Nielsen as well at MK Dons is someone who um, there were huge expectations for after such a good back end of last season. They are really failing to live up to that as well. Um, um, after the amount of faith they showed in Carl Robinson, I'm not sure if the powers that be at MK Dons are ones to pull the trigger, but he is definitely a manager who seems to be. Um, you know, maybe unlike Stam, I think he definitely is underperforming with the, with the tools at his disposal.
0: Yeah, likable guy, Robin Nielsen, but really not working at all for him. Their home form is miserable, and we had quite high expectations for him. It hasn't really worked. Uh, on Stam, I mean, I'm going to back him up. The injuries are terrible. You look at the, their team from the last game; it doesn't look to me on paper like a like a top half squad of players and managers are always at pains to tell you that, you know, the thing that makes them really are the players and Reading's are, are, you know, that squad, perhaps 20th is a little bit too low but there's, there's no doubt in my mind that he's a good manager. The run that they went on last season, no matter how, how fortuitous in some ways, was also hugely down to his incredible ability to set them up, to frustrate the opposition, to close out victories when they went ahead. That to me, is the sign of an excellent manager. And the fact that he can't replicate it isn't a massive knock on him for me because you can't be expected to outperform expectations all the time. And I think that would be very harsh. I'm looking at Simon Grayson of uh, Sunderland. The fans have turned on him. It's one of those situations where everyone knows that the fans are against the board. And sometimes you think, well, maybe they won't really blame the manager uh, given the situation around the club. That's now not really the case. I think negative tactics are being are being noted from fans. Interesting or, or rather questionable team selection. I think Grayson's in trouble. I would have no confidence in them replacing him with anyone decent. So, I, I, I mean, I hope he stays. I hope he turns it around. Carlos Carvalho, we've spoken about a lot. And if things continue to, you know, they drew a Barnsley on the weekend, Sheffield Wednesday. If, if they continue to drop points in games that their fans and their their board would be expected to win, then... I don't know how much long he can last. And then Gary Monk, I suppose, is a bit of an outsider because, again, definite question marks over the way that Middlesbrough have started the season and the way that he's adapted to, to being their manager. So.
1: I, I think that the, when you're looking at who's going to get sacked, it's important to recognise that, that, that sacking someone alone isn't a positive step. Um, with Simon Grayson, you've got to wonder if Sunderland fans want him to leave, um, if, they, if, if the board decide that he's not the person to take them forward, where do they go from there? I can't see it being a positive move. I, I don't understand what manager they're going to get in who's going to arrest that slide straight away. It's been a downward trajectory for so long and, and it's you know it's naive to think that just a move down to the Championship is going to be enough to stop that downward turn. Mm. Um, and that's why I think that they'd, they'd be crazy to, to get rid of him and I think that would be a, um, a step that would push them further into a relegation battle than they're already in at the moment. Yeah, I um, disagree with and, that. And with Stam, just a word, for, for Reading fans who do want him to leave, I just find it very troubling um, because I think you can't have it both ways, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Either last season he did a fantastic job and this season you know, it's, it's reverting to a mean, or um, or they're just back to where they should be. I, I, I he don't...
0: said in an interview the other week, you know, a lot of this game is down to luck, of which we had a lot last season, which is what we always said. Yeah, he yeah. said it himself. He said they're not getting the same luck this season. It's hard to argue with that. I mean, this is a bloke who, 20 minutes into his last game, sees his two centre-backs headbutt each other and cause themselves some... Well, fairly serious damage in the case of Thiago Alorri, although he has been, uh, he was discharged from hospital on Saturday night, so he's 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 obviously fine, or well, not fine, but, but not terribly injured. And Liam Moore, who con- did continue, having had to go down the tunnel and get bandaged up. I would just say to Reading fans listening, your three, four managers before App Stam, since Steve copple left, your 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 sort of real long, ish term managers have been Brian McDermott, Nigel Adkins, Steve Clark. And Brian McDermott. Now, if you were to sack Stam and move forward, I think that you would quite quite quickly realise uh, what you had. And I would not be positive. As Joel said, it's not always a positive uh, movement, sacking a manager. I would be surprised if you were to replace him with someone who'd be able to take that squad much higher than he is at the moment and certainly what he did last season. Um, another one on managers. Some might be surprised to hear Alex, who's a Fulham fan, say, there's been limited, but there has been talk of Slavisa Jokanovic not being the right man for Fulham. He wanted to know what our thoughts are and who could potentially replace him. Um, I flipped it back on Alex because I'm fairly defensive of, of Slavisa, um, And he said, well, if things don't improve in the next two games, I think the board will need to ask some questions at least. Um, they've looked tactically inept at times this season. We have a good squad and have come a long way, but he reckons Jokanovic seems stubbornly certain to stick with some baffling choices, e.g., Fonte or Fonch playing on the wing, so it's an interesting one because, well, I think we're underwhelmed with where they sit at the moment. Well, and
1: four wins from fourteen, not good enough. No, um, I mean, I, I personally am a big fan of Slavs. Um, this is the first time, really, in his, in his managerial career that he's had any trouble. Um, so to sack a guy who's who's really produced uh, the goods at Watford and came so close to um, producing the real goods last season uh, with this, with the same squads, I think it would be, um, you know, just a bit premature. To be fair, they're they're what they're. Four points off the playoffs currently, so yeah. there's no reason to panic. Um, obviously, the you know some of the results have been very very poor, but I think it's you know seven draws from 14 games. It's more likely that those draws, from where I'm standing, are going to be turned into uh, into wins rather than losses. I mean that that result against Bolton was really really poor, um, but I think by no account should Bolton have been ahead ever. And uh, and I think that getting that late equaliser um, is important in itself. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'd be. W- very wary as, as a Fulham fan. But then, having said that, I personally think that all managers, basically all fans, should, should stop looking for the first, for the buck to stop with the manager at all, at all times, really.
0: I, I, I agree with that. Uh, again, same thing that I said to Reading fans. Fulham's previous managers Kit Simons, Felix Magat, Rene Merlinstein, Martin Yole, Mark Hughes, those are the five previous managers. I think it's always worth just taking a step back, realizing that this is a man who has. Done a fantastic job despite a bit of disappointment to start this season. I think it's objectively true that what he's done with the club has been excellent and is got a team playing some wonderful football. And I know that Fulham fans enjoy the football that you guys play. I think that there's a lot to be said for that. And I I do think that there's been an atmosphere at Craven Cottage in the last year and a half that wasn't there for a few years before then. And I think again that 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 says a lot. So uh, we're not getting too Trigger happy right now at Fulham. Um, Sam Wilson asks, is Luke Freeman the best player in the bottom half of the championship? I, I, I like this one,
1: the bottom half of the championship.
0: And will a promotion contender try and lure him away in January? There's two really interesting questions, two parts to that question. I think if you take this season.
1: I think it's three parts. Are QPR bottom half of the championship team in the long run?
0: Well, okay. Well, we can touch on that as well. They are currently. I'm taking that literally. They are currently in the bottom half. I think of all the players in the bottom 12 teams at the moment. I think, based on this season's performances, he has to be. I think he's probably in the possibly in the team of the season in the whole league. Anyway, every time I see him play, he is just everywhere. He, he's, he's a supporter's dream in the sense that what we're all looking for in football is, is a, a bit of quality is someone who can take you out of your seat and he does that going forward but he's also back scrapping and he, he's just an all-round midfielder playing brilliantly, caused Wolves all sorts of troubles all over the pitch on Saturday and has done that consistently all season brilliant left foot of course. Now will a promotion contender try and lure him away in January there's plenty to clear up with QPR's financial situation and whether or not they'll be fined around 45 million quid um, that fine would have a significant impact on basically every team outside of the top six uh, Premier League teams, if that's the case. Luke's, Luke Freeman, everyone's got a price, and, and especially teams who might need to be raising some funds, so that could be a very interesting one.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's 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 carried QPR to an extent to where they are. I mean, they've, they've impressed a lot of people this season, and they've surprised a lot of people, and he, I don't think we should necessarily be surprised by him. Obviously, he had a Bit of a tricky time as manager at Bristol City, but mm. his talent's never been in doubt. I mean, to answer the question more literally, um, this season, very possibly, but I do think that some of the class players at Brentford and Fulham probably mm. do stand out above. Um, you know, in Brian uh, Sessignon, you've got a featuring England international who may mm. not be as good now, but I think in terms of quality is up there. And Tom Kearney, who I've said many times, I think, to be uh, the best player in the league. And then even at Brentford now, um, some of their forward players and some of their midfielders are just absolute class. Um, mm. Ollie Watkins is another person who, who's made the step up. Seamlessly, and and we can expect to be very good players. And then at Hull, obviously you've got you know you've got the likes of um who's he's, yeah. he's a Polish international. So ooh, ooh. I mean, I I get the I get the question, and, and you know, there's no denying Luke Freeman's talent and and his start to the season, but. If we're going to look at it from a really kind of boring point of view, then then, then maybe not. We
0: try not to be boring as much as possible, but uh, that can be tough. K-League English asked a, a fun one, I thought. Uh, which Northern Ireland player do you rate highest outside the top 20? Um He, he says, I will declare my interest is that I'm Northern Irish. Well, there's l- lots of Northern Irish players that I like really outside of, of the top division. And, and there's plenty of them. Mo- half, I'd say. At a guess of the Northern Ireland squad comes from, or probably just under half comes from the EFL, and obviously you've got strikers Washington and McGinnis, uh, Lafferty not with us anymore, but never really was never really one of my favourites. Bit morbid. <laughs> no, no, it was never really one of my favourites, but now he's up, up in uh, up in Scotland. Norwood, classy midfield player that we like. Stuart Dallas, when he gets a chance to play, um, is an industrious winger, but. I'm going to throw a bit of a rogue one into the mix. Ben Kennedy uh, of, uh, of Stevenage is a young midfield player with an absolutely fantastic left foot. and He's had some injury problems, as far as I'm aware, but he's, I think he's 21, 22 years old. Just an excellent, excellent player. And Every time he gets a bit of time and space to cut in on his left foot, invariably that's ending up in the net. Definitely one to watch out for. I know that Boyle, who signed for Burton, a striker, who was top scorer in the SPL last season and unfortunately tore his ACL... Um, early on in the season so we haven't got to see him much but lots of good Northern Irish talent across the leagues Millwall have got a lot of it um, George Saville uh, made, say, yeah. <laughs> George Savile made his debut for Northern Ireland in the last uh, round of of uh, qualifiers they've also got McLaughlin there in, uh, at right back and um, just plenty of players that we like put it that way so thanks for the question oh, well, K-League I, English I, I still do think it's amazing um, if you
1: look at their squad the amount of you have held talent like, even when I was at uh, Oxford Charlton the other day just seeing Josh McGinnis coming on as a is a League One striker who you know was playing in the Euros last year. I hopefully. was. I saw him play so at, the,
0: at the whatever it's called Paris Stadium you know, against kept, Germany. He kept Will
1: Grigg off the bench <laughs> despite all the singing, yeah. um, and uh, and I think it's testament to to Northern Ireland. And it's also it's a huge feather feather in the cap for the EFL that mm. you know a team who who are mainly built out of the building blocks of, of those three leagues. Um, can compete at the very highest level internationally.
0: I think a lot of it, we would probably argue, is is down to a mentality as well. The way that they're able to be greater than the sum of their parts co- probably stems from a lot of the fact that there's, there's few airs and graces for this Northern Ireland squad. They, they, they don't have ideas above their station, even their Premier League talent, people like Macaulay, Stephen Davis, just all hard-working pros. That, tends, that seems to be the sort of character profile and it's taking them a long way, along with incredible uh, manager in Michael O'Neill. What an incredible job he's doing.
1: I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if EFL players are scrapping around trying to find Northern Irish Northern heritage. <laughs> yeah. mean, you, well, you, I'm you, not you, sure you George Savile is particularly Northern well, yeah, Irish. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm just saying that Rory McArdle got his first cap
0: for Northern Ireland in 2010. Really? He's had seven. That's he's incredible. One a I year. I didn't know that. Well, <laughs> part, t- of t- a, t- ticking along. part of a very good Gunthorpe defence this season as yeah. well. Um, this is a fun one. George it was a Fulham fan as well. He's been getting a bit frustrated with some of the away teams recently. And he asks, teams who time wastes to get results, do you admire or loathe their tactics? As a Fulham fan, we've seen a few times try, a few teams try it in recent weeks. If they're my
1: team, then I love it. And if they're the other team, then I don't like it. I think that, like any other football fan.
0: Um, in that case, I'll take you uh, if it's uh, how you feel when it's your team doing it. I think that's how you should judge things like that. Definitely. You know, some, some people would say, if a player on my team dives, I hate that. And... You're saying a team, a player on my team is time wasting. I like that; it's it's helping us win. So, I think,
1: well, yeah. I agree with you for the record. Well, just because I think winning is the most important thing, and you do anything you can to win, but uh, it doesn't mean I necessarily, uh, you know, applaud it as part of the game. But it's really fun uh, when you
0: know when you and I play. It's quite fun when you're trying to grind out a win just to really wind up the opposition. In, in, in my 6 society team, you can pass it back to the keeper and they can pick it up, which is an unbelievable time-wasting tactic. I've been known once or twice when we've got a corner to take the corner and just punt it all the way back 50 yards to the goal and he picks it up, wait, waits <laughs> for them to get there and picks it up. It doesn't go down that well, but I, f- I find it very entertaining. This really
1: is not the top 20 now, isn't it, <laughs> talking about your... Uh, your you, yeah
0: um, Wednesday night's Battersea. Um, Gary asks, do you think Wolves' form could dip? how will the foreign players cope with the upcoming schedule and weather a lot won't be used to it
1: i think it'll be fine i think they they're too good to really care and it's not like i think this is it's not like in it's kind of balmy in 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 you know porto in, yeah. in mid december as well oh, I agree. But, you know it's not I, I don't think it's much of an issue i think that that result if anything on the weekend their defeat will probably galvanize them to an extent um I don't see there being any issues there.
0: There's a there's a lot of foreign players playing for a lot of teams in the EFL. It, it's 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 over exaggerated in my opinion uh this they don't like the weather, they don't like playing lots of I'll just matches a pair of gloves on. They've got it. a huge squad <laughs> and if some of them don't fancy it, well, you know they, they're literally struggling to put all of these incredible players in the same team. In fact, they literally can't do it. They've got too many good attacking players. So I'm sure they'll be fine. Uh, we're not worried about that. Um, Tom Sheriff asked, who do you think the next star will be at Brentford that goes for a lot of money? Like Hogan, Hotter, Gray, etc. It's got to be Watkins. Yeah,
1: well, we, we were talking about this on Sunday. We um, were? I, we were talking about which team we can see snapping him up. And I, I, I think it might be Tottenham. Um, which is a bit of a big call. But I, I you know, I think with the success of Ali, they obviously are a team happy to invest in serious EFL talent, even though they, did, you know, they haven't done it very often. I also think that the, the signings they've made, are the likes of, um, kind of Nkudu and uh, G might put them off shopping around in, mm. in Europe. And I think that Watkins would fit that bill of being able to be the, the understudy for Harry Kane, which is something they've struggled to get, and also be able to play across the three in behind as well. So I, th- I, 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 you would, feel I like would love to see that.
0: You feel like he's the type of player that, Pochettino could mould into whatever he wanted. So Indeed, much yeah. so much room for development still and, and and the higher he plays, you would hope the better he'll get. But what an impressive start to the season. Ryan Woods is a lovely midfield player that I don't think would look out of place in a possession-based Premier League team, I should say, but there aren't that many of them really um, outside of the big ones. I, I, I reckon Watkins... For me, more likely f- to be a, a Southampton, maybe an Everton, although they've obviously got Lookman already. I- I'm going to go with Southampton. Mm. I think. Lewin as well.
1: Yes, yeah, that's so true. They, I mean, obviously, they obviously. mean, we can see they like to shop around in, in the effort. Although maybe after those two signings, would they see them as being that successful? Kabat-Lewin, maybe, but well, what's the well I mean,
0: they probably would say Lookman. You can't really decide yet because he's not getting much playing time. But no. it's frustrating for us to see that. Yeah. You know that that League Cup game and Wednesday when Aaron Lennon played against Chelsea and, instead of Adamola Lookman, that that to me just I couldn't, I couldn't see how you could justify that. Lennon did then go on a start on Sunday, but I've got to wonder why you're buying Luckman. If, uh, if I, I know that Koeman, at, well, actually, he'd lost his job at that point. So Unsworth, <laughs> who works with young players, has probably worked with Luckman over the last year or so. It, it, it shocked me that well, he didn't especially get
1: a chance. when he, you know, he played Davis over Sigurdsson and things like that. He was obviously giving a... You know, he, he got flack for not playing some senior players, so Ooh. it is a bit of a concern that he didn't play. But uh, we digress. More what, what are we doing, talking about Premier League... Team selection.
0: Craig Bradley's asked uh, us about Keenan Davis of Aston Villa. We've spoken about him on the pod before, but he came on in the second City derby on Sunday and had a very impressive cameo. Um, we like him. I think he, he he's offering something that a lot of young players don't offer. Um, this unbelievable back to goal ability, basically, that, that you don't see in young players as much, perhaps, as you did in the old days, and it and it definitely causes. Uh, defenses problems. We've seen him cause some very, very good championship defenses, plenty of problems this season. I think we saw from him hitting the bar uh, on Sunday that perhaps he could show a little bit more finesse in his finishing. I don't know. He, he really went to blast it, and I'm not going to have a go at him too much. It wasn't an easy chance by any stretch of the imagination, but perhaps a little less power, a little more accuracy would have helped him out. But just, I mean, it's
1: one of those shots where, as a neutral watching, you just wish it had gone in, because yeah. what, a, what a moment for if that goes in and the in the derby, in his first appearance in the derby to score, a, to score a winner, that would have been a you know a career-defining moment, really.
0: It's an unbelievable find from whoever <laughs> at Villa plucked him from Biggleswade. It's it's what dreams are made of for scouts and for for any sort of um, you know anyone working in recruitment, it, it, championship level, Premier League level, League One level, to be able to find that sort of talent, a player who can move into the first team and be keeping someone like Scott Hogan from from playing more. And offering so much at that, you know, at that price, and being able to find him like that is, you know, huge applause needed for whoever is uh, is sort of responsible or, or takes the the claim takes the credit for that. I should say, uh, Sam has asked us pound for pound, George, which manager is currently doing the best job in each of the three leagues? I think this is relatively straightforward. I think if we're taking pound for pound. Um, Yeah, in the way that I consider it to mean, then I think it it really, at this stage, needs to be Chris Wilder, um, Paul Hurst, and John Coleman of Accrington. Obviously, Sheffield United are... Are Sheffield United top currently of the Championship? They are... Yes, they are. Sheffield United, top of the league after the weekend's results. Uh, Obviously, Shrewsbury, still top of League 1, despite losing, and Accrington second in League 2... Um, all three of those guys doing an unbelievable job yep. with budgets that are not reflective of where they are positioned.
1: I wouldn't disagree with any of the three. I think mentions uh, go for, because I think pound for pound, you know, is obviously relating to budget, but I think there's also something to be said for uh, teams who have come down. Um, and I think that Paul Warren at Rotherham uh, and also um, as much as it pains me to say it, David Flitcroft um, at Swindon, I think because they were, they were so helpless last year and hopeless, to be honest, both teams. And it, it was... We both thought they were going to struggle coming into the next season. Their recruitment didn't look too sharp, but they're both sitting pretty in the top seven, mm. um, which I think at this stage gives them a, a fantastic platform to now uh, kick on and, and and you know both launch a promotion bid, which I definitely did not think was on the cards. You've
0: you've just you've just given props to the Swindon Town manager, and I am yeah, flabbergasted. We, we know we, we this know is m- we this know, is. Go on.
1: We, we know my curse, though, don't we? <laughs> That's true, that is
0: true. Oh, shame for them. Um, talking of, of Oxford United, obviously your team and, and Gab Sutton of the Football Lab. I liked this question, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about it. Gab asks, is this current Oxford United squad the best squad that you've had this century? Uh,
1: well, it's either this, this squad or, or last year's squad. Um, and I think I'd...
0: C. I replied saying, mm. well, we had... Um, we had someone tweet us saying, well, uh, this squad can't be as good as the squad that had Callum Dowder in it. He's obviously a Bristol City fan. He's enjoying Callum's performances this season for Bristol City. And I thought that was an interesting point because that promotion team from League Two has players Kamar Roof, John Lundstrom, Callum O'Dowder, um, and George Baldock all playing uh, fairly regularly in the Championship. That was League Two two seasons ago. But so. then, but
1: then I'm, I'm very, very sure that, um, you know, Joe Rothwell... Ryan Ledson Curtis Nelson the players in our squad now will will be playing at a high level in, in two or three years time so I think that you know backdating it like that doesn't really work um, but I, I'd be inclined to say no I, I'd, I'd be inclined to say that both certainly last season's squad um, by the end uh, and and uh, when Bulldog was, was playing uh, those are probably um, two better squads and you also you know you forget Jake Wright as well because he wasn't a youngster but he he was a fantastic player for us in that promotion season and he's proven himself now to be you know, more than a League Two defender, but a very capable um, championship defender. So, yeah, I'd probably have to agree with whoever said that um, the promotion the, the promotion team and our squad this year have been interesting to match up. I think some of the players we've got in this squad, the likes of Jack Payne, are just far better. Um, but then at the same time, yeah, I, I think we're a little bit weaker this time around. But I think we brought in some some experience that was needed.
0: Oxford on the weekend after such a good run, losing away at, at Fleetwood, obviously a, a very tough opposition, um, but showing again why you are perhaps not as interested in Oxford as, as promotion contenders as some of, of the other listeners on our show. And you've said, you know, you, you, you would just, if you were a, a purely punting, you wouldn't be going near them at the moment.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and also our, our just inability to, to see out games, really, whether it's a draw or a win or a loss. Well, I mean, you can see how I lost pretty well. But, um, but it's just, we, we have this knack of conceding late goals. and it's Coming cost- back
0: from being behind, yeah. I think is what you meant. Yeah.
1: Um, it, it's this knack of conceding late goals that's really killing us at the moment. Um, there was an era of inevitability um, at Nill against Fleetwoods, where even though we, by all accounts, played very, very well in the game, it, it, I was always concerned we were going to concede, and we conceded twice in the 88th and 90th minute. Mm. And that has been a theme. And you wonder if it's because some of the players in the team, I mean, if you look at our back four um, Ribeiro, uh, Masingo, Williamson when he plays, Ricardinho slightly older, and you wonder if if they're just struggling to have the legs to, to see out the ninety minutes. I
0: suppose in squad terms as well, you've got Mimeti, you've got Pakalski, um, fairly well players who have played at a higher level um, who who have been injured and, and haven't really been able to contribute. So it's
1: interesting. When Mike Clapperton arrived at the club a few years ago, he said that part of the recruitment strategy would be to find players whose stock was low because of impact injuries and not because of injuries that was anything to do with their um, ability to play football. And that had worked, generally, where we'd got players on cheap and then we'd been able to shift them on um, for, a, for a profit because we'd, kept, we'd got them fit. Whereas now, for the first time, it's um, it, it feels like that it Being signed to contribute well, to no, you. No, no, it feels like that strategy is now not paying off, where the likes of Mameti Um, and Pekalski haven't played much football recently because they've they've had injury issues and then they've arrived and and become injured very very quickly and yeah
0: I suppose there's a there's a sense I guess you could look at it as as a fan you you look like we're signing players to to play for us right now to contribute at this exact moment um, and not necessarily with that sort of investment aspect um, in in mind whether I don't suppose you would think like that but you know the, the football is st- is still very good this season, is
1: I mean, The football's absolutely brilliant. I mean, I, I'm in no way complaining. I think that the overhaul that we had in the summer, managerially and, and losing these key players, it was always going to happen. It's just, you know, I, I have no issues with the way the um, with what's going on on the pitch. I don't have. I think that getting in the top six would be a huge achievement, and I think that we. i would be very surprised if we finished lower than 14th, which is fine. Um, and we've laid a platform now. These experienced guys have come in, and the, and the ones who settle will stay. And, and form that kind of bedrock of our team, and the ones who are either unfit or have or disappointed will probably be, will probably leave and, and i 'm and I'm sure that we 'll go back to recruiting young, hungry players. It was just at summer that we needed to inject some some kind of older heads, if maybe not older legs
0: young hungry players well there 's no one younger really, and not many hungrier than the current England under seventeen team, the World Cup winners from Sunday. What an unbelievable from Saturday even beating Spain 5-2, an incredible achievement. And with uh, the insane success of the England youth teams over the last calendar year, just astonishing, unprecedented success, both for England and practically for any nation, to be quite honest with you. Uh, conversation always turns, George, to, well, it's all well and good, them winning at that level. How do we now deal with them? How do we develop them? How best can we can we stop the top clubs farming them? Unfortunately, we're not going to tackle that right now because that is something to really throw ourselves into. Isn't it?
1: Although, can I just mention that Ryan Edson did a piece for the BBC about it, which mm. is which is worth a read, where he basically calls on these players to to go and ask their... Well, basically, go and demand to their clubs that they can go out and play men's football. Mm. Well, you, you mean, he played, he played on 17s, 18s, 19s and I'm, would have been in the 20s squad.
0: That's what we want. That's what clearly helps players. But we also know that, unfortunately, the business side of football, like it or lump it, means that that is... Just at the moment, not the not the not the most regular pathway, unfortunately, and that's the issue. That's what needs to be discussed. What we've been asked by Freddie is, can you see any of the England Under seventeen winners going on loan to EFL clubs in January? And if so, which players to which clubs? Now, I would suggest that. Let's remember that these kids are mostly sixteen years old, maybe seventeen. I I think it's very unlikely that we'll see one of the one of the major contributors, someone like Foden or Hudson or Doyle, I think that they will be kept at their clubs, you know, at those facilities, learning under those coaches. That seems to be what those really big clubs want to do with, chil- with children, when well, I suppose so, <laughs> with, with players of that age. Um, I think that that means we probably won't see anyone this season. Having said that, we must shout out the four world champions of under 17 level who play for EFL teams. And that is William Crellin of Fleetwood Town. Fleetwood have got a World Cup winning uh, player at his age group, he's, I think he was the th- the second or third choice goalkeeper. Even so, an unbelievable reflection of how far they've come as a club and the work that they're doing at all levels there with just such such impressiveness. And, and Krellin is is a good poster boy for their for their youth system. Uh, Morgan Gibbs White, who contributed plenty over the course of the tournament, he's a Wolves kid. Hopefully, we might see him get some minutes. But he's a, he's again he's an attacking player, and as discussed. They're struggling to get all of their sort of real first team players in, struggling to get Enna Bacare as many minutes as perhaps he deserves. So Gibbs White may need to buy his time. Danny Loder at Reading as well. I think he's yet to play a, a competitive match. Although I did notice that Reading started 19 year old Sam Smith on the weekend, mostly because they're out of any other options. But good to see their very successful youth academy getting another uh, debutant. And then Stephen Cessignon of Fulham, who, who played brilliantly. Uh, throughout the whole tournament, who is obviously the slightly younger brother of Ryan Cessignon? The Cessignon family now have a 17-year-old or an 18-year-old Ryan Cessignon, who is an under-19 European champion, and a 16-year-old in Stephen Cessignon, who is an under-19, under-17 world champion. I mean, that is unbelievable, isn't it? That's yeah, that's hope. Neville, ne- that's Neville and Neville. Let's let's hope maybe one day even they're, they're
1: going to be, um, you know, senior World Cup winners mm. because. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very excited, and you've, you've got to, as an England fan, um, you've got to get excited, I think, and a lot's been said about Danny Murphy's um, comments about the players turning their shirts around, and it's just an amazing thing to criticise these young Here we go, hold
0: that thought, Nine <coughs> Years Pod asked us, thoughts on the England under-17s turning their shirts around for maximum publicity, is this what's wrong with the national side these days, more for themselves than for the team? It's
1: completely what's right with the national side, it's absolutely fantastic, like... Now these players criticised them. No wonder they'd never turned their shirts around. They never got to. They never did anything. Um, what what those guys did on the pitch and what the, you know, 80-odd players who were involved in youth team football had done on the pitch this summer is so much more important and is of so much more value than these guys who, you know, let's be frank, have just, you know, made a name for themselves within world football. And I like the fact they want, they want to get their name out there. I like the fact they want to be seen to, you know, be who they are. They, I can guarantee you the reaction of Phil Foden and all those players when he slotted that fifth goal away, that wasn't anything to do with them um, making a name for themselves individually. That was because they just won the World Cup. And guys like Danny Murphy and anyone else, really, who has an issue with them turning their shirts around can just just grow up, basically.
0: I'd love to play a devil's advocate, but I'm in complete agreement. It it doesn't bother me in any way, and I cannot believe that it's even been a talking point. I think one thing I always want to raise to anyone thinking the opposite to us is i, I can 't speak for everyone, but I think for a lot of people that when something significant happens in my life, quite often my first thought is is to is to to my family and to you know to people that I want to be really excited with and, and for and actually if you 're over in india you might not have your family with you as they, as you win the World Cup for your age group. I think there's a big part of that that gets overlooked. You're turning your shirt around and imagine what that must feel like for your family back at home watching on TV. There's their surname. They've helped you out so much and that is their name holding up a World Cup trophy. I... I, I I can't believe it's it's even much of a talking point, but I know a lot of people feel differently. The other thing I would say, I do think it looks a little bit naff. I don't think it I don't think it looks very good. They should change the shirts or change the lettering or something because I don't think it actually looks very good aesthetically, <laughs> but I completely understand why they do it. Um, Will asked us which teams would you change from your pre season picks for promotion and relegation? Now, obviously when we read these out, there are going to be some that look really good. Um, I'm fairly happy in general, but there are some that won't sound so good. So for the championship. We had Fulham and Middlesbrough top two, Wolves, Brentford, Norwich and Cardiff uh, in the playoffs and QPR, Burton, Bolton going down. So obviously Fulham and Middlesbrough not quite there at the moment, both with some potential. Uh, Wolves in third looking good, Brentford a bit low down looking to move up the leagues, Norwich and Cardiff good picks, QPR, Burton, Bolton I think that's... that's Two out of three ain't bad. Pretty good. Um, so I'm not sure really in the championship what we would necessarily change borough. in that sense.
1: I mean, I, and I, I still think Brentford will get in the top 10 at hmm. least. Um, borough, I'm, I'm very concerned about. And, and even, you know, I don't think Fulham or Borough will be troubled in the top two, but... You know, Wolves, Norwich, Cardiff, that's not, not a bad mm. shout. And I think we had Sheffield United quite high as well.
0: So. Yeah, yeah, we certainly did. Uh, Blackburn, Bradford. In fact, just quickly on that Sheffield United thing, it was really nice to see a Twitter follower of ours who had given us a little bit of stick, I think it's fair to say, back in August when we made these predictions, uh, who really laughed at us, picking Sheffield United to finish above Sheffield Wednesday. An absolute credit because it's, well, without wanting to sound too smug, it is tough to to, to sort of admit when you maybe went in a bit hard uh, when there was still plenty of football to be played because he did get in touch the other day and say, actually, fair out to be honest. They look like a really good football team and we don't, so that was nice. Um, anyone else who wants to, to dip in having slagged us off, then that's always welcome. But there aren't many of you, so that's fine. Um, I guess in League One, we said Blackburn and Bradford top two mk don's fleetwood wig and bristol rovers uh, bristol rovers not really looking like they'll get there but another team that we've seen before put together at excellent runs mk don's probably a bit far off but again those those other four teams are, are very much in the mix so to speak and at the bottom rotherham blackpool gillingham and wimbledon rotherham clearly um that was as we touched on earlier something that we didn't see happening such a an instant turnaround, and and so that doesn't look so good. But Gillingham, Wimbledon, even Blackpool, to an extent, who are falling off a little bit after that hot start. Um, not not too bad, I don't think. And who really would have predicted Shrewsbury in the top six? I don't think we can be uh, told off for that. In League Two, Mansfield and Luton and Coventry were our top three. Uh, Exeter, Crewe, Lincoln and Notts County uh, from four to seven. It's only Crew really, out of that lot, who aren't anywhere near that conversation, and they are looking... Quite poor, actually, Crew. I must say, have been really disappointed with them. Yeah. Um, I remember I fought, I think, quite hard for Crew to be involved in that top seven, and you were fighting for Wickham. So if only we'd listened to you. Um, to um, which I don't say very often. But um, <laughs> at the bottom, Cheltenham and Yeovil. Well, Cheltenham, all wrong. Cheltenham looking like a really, really good team. Massive yeah. credit to Gary Johnson. Credit to, as well, people like Mark O'Hare, who were able to look at, at the data, which is Mark does so unbelievably well. And he predicted this turnaround. I think Cheltenham had something like... 7 points from their first 8 games and I think they've got something like 13 points from their seven games since that point and and Mark very much called it early so well done to Mark that's why we uh, trust in the data and uh, that was good to see um Lee Clark George has been sacked by Berry uh, we were we've always been really uh, very much against I suppose his About the situation at Berry with with him in charge. I think our our main qualms at the start of the season were not the quality of player joining. I think we were, if anything, quite excited about the the potential of that team, but rather the man that was tasked with putting together a a sort of cohesive team with all that quality that they signed. Um, We also had some worries, given their latest set of accounts, as to how exactly they were... Funding uh, a lot of these signings, players who will be on, on very high wages for League One level. And it couldn't have gone much worse. I can't think, really, of many more, of many worse or many more unsuccessful appointments in the last two or three. Well, since we've been doing this podcast, I cannot think of, of many worse appointments. Uh, <laughs> Lee Clark's gone. We, I won't I kick him, we won't kick him much more. Well, I, I
1: suppose the, the, the flip side of it, um, and I think this could well happen, is that whilst I don't rate him as a manager, I do think they've assembled something of a good squad. I think he had absolutely no idea how to use that squad. And, you know, he seems to change his mind as to which players fit uh, in which position fairly frequently. Mm. Um, but I think this managerial appointment is an important one. Uh, I see that Ryan Lowe is, is very much the favourite to replace.
0: Michael Luke Appleton's been, uh, been mooted.
1: That, I mean, I <laughs> mean... Oh, I don't know if I could deal with that. Um, uh, sh- and sure, Maguire. I'm sure Mag in, has I'm sure Mag's been on the phone. Um, mm. I, I, I don't think that will happen. I wouldn't have thought unless he's been told that his days are numbered.
0: What? What? what it's such a specific squad and, and the skill set to manage that sort of squad. And given where they are at the moment, in twenty third, how, how would you suggest that, that? You know, what would what sort of profile would you be looking at? Just
1: someone who's got a track record of being good. But I mean, you know,
0: sometimes we we like to see younger managers or managers from the leagues below maybe getting more of a chance. But maybe with this squad, you would actually maybe be looking towards more of of someone who who has experience, as you say, of being good with, you know, you always say it. But, you know, players with maybe a bit more of an ego or or with with higher expectations or.
1: Possibly. It's a difficult one. I mean, with that squad, especially, I suppose it's it's an expensive squad. And and the majority of them are pretty used to working with fairly established managers um so for that reason it's hard to say uh, I, I mean i don't think they should go down the line i see phil neville's been been muted i'm sure he's got absolutely no interest in the job at all um considering he's a second class citizen and all that but um uh sorry for those who <laughs> didn't yeah, what what I'm I, saying. I don't get that reference oh he um he's said that english coaches are seen as second class citizens including himself and he can't get a job so, right. a people, so a lot of people have now recommended that he should uh, apply for the job at his hometown club he wants to get a, a job in managerial. Um, nice.
0: Well, I mean what's interesting about that is that He obviously won't. We would refer anyone listening who wants to know more about the berry situation to go and check out our friend "Bury Me in Exile. That's his Twitter handle. It's also his blog page. Writes brilliantly about Berry. Has been calling really for Clark's head now for quite a while and it's very hard to argue with what he has said throughout. We love his work and he has mentioned that well, one of the things he would be interested in exploring at least would be those two managers at Salford City, the uh, the double management team of, of Morley and I think the other one's called Johnson. Um, and that would be interesting because then, sure, Phil Neville would have a vacancy at Salford City to fill and he could show us how good he is. Um, Adam asks, George, in recent years, Rotherham, Burton uh, have all made it from the League Two to the Championship. I guess you could chuck Yeovil in there as well. A couple of teams, really. Um, who do we think is most likely to do that next? So well, It's a tough one because... It's not a likely thing to happen, is it? It's not, is it in terms of probability, it's, it's tough.
1: I, uh, well, I think the team top have probably had the aspirations, I guess, Notts County, um, mm-hmm. especially with, you know, Kevin Nolan isn't in this game to be a League Two manager. You, you can be sure that he's got aspirations to to manage much higher and that, you know, their real place probably in the English football pyramid is a, is a top half League One team. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got the fan base to do it. And I think that if they continue the way they are, they'll have the mem- momentum to do it as well. Um, so they'd be the, the kind of team we're looking at. Luton possibly as well.
0: George Grant scoring two pretty nice goals uh, on the weekend. Not like I haven't been banging on about him for about a year. Um, Charlie has asked, is there a more frustrating team around than Coventry at the moment? Brentford. Ten clean sheets, but only 17 goals. Four wins versus the top five, but also only four wins versus everyone else. I would like to say to Charlie, um, we can understand your frustrations, but yes... Uh, there are plenty more frustrating teams than your side who are sixth in their league at the moment, who are uh, winning games to nil very regularly, who have a very solid foundation. And in and Jody Jones and duckings on two really exciting players who are mostly performing um, week on week. I think that it's one of those ones we're able, mostly, although not always in your case, um, to look mostly sort of um, impartially uh, around the leagues because we don't have um, these strong affiliations. And it can be very hard when you're mainly focused on your one team. But yes, don't worry, Charlie, there are many more frustrating teams out there. George, you reckon Brentford could be one?
1: Yes. I mean, I think if you're, I, I couldn't handle being a Brentford fan this season. The amount of, of, of you know, good positions squandered. And even that Preston game last weekend where they managed to lose the lead twice before finally winning 3-2, I, I you know, I think I'd, I'd be grey.
0: Mm. A lot of late goals being conceded at home by Fulham as well. And it tends to come after they've created 10 clear-cut chances that they've managed to sort of slice wide or squander. Real issue with finishing at Fulham this season. So I'd put them very much in there as well. And I suppose, you know, a team like... Hull as well, who have shown on occasion to be really, really good. They've scored 20 goals, which is one of the most in the league this season, but they're down in 18th. Uh, down in Sorry, they've scored 26 goals, which is the most in the league this six season.
1: Six
0: in one game. Um, six in one game, sure. But that's shown how how they can play. But unfortunately, that's not a regular thing. So don't worry, Charlie. Uh, Marco Hares asked, what's our opinion on the future of Morecambe following the off-field news in the past week? Um If you want to find out more about what's going on in Morecambe's off-the-field shenanigans, it's far too complicated to explain on this podcast, but I think BBC Radio Lancashire uh, has some good info on it. Uh, Needless to say, things are not good. It's been a complete mess. It doesn't look like it's going to get sorted out quickly or cleanly. And Jim Bentley, I mean, he was already managing... Metaphorically, with one arm behind his back. Now he's got both tied. Um, you know, his legs have been tied together as well. They've put <laughs> they're putting blindfold him on his on him as we speak. Um, I think Morecambe will be relegated this season. Uh, as much as it pains me to say it, he has done wonders there. Uh, but I think this is a, a step too far even for him. Um, and that's all we got time for today because um, plenty to get through this evening. Championship fixtures. And um, we would like to start focusing on that. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for your constant support. Um, We're not going to ask for anything, really, because we're just all very giddy about the uh, FSF Award nomination. If you did want to vote for (laughs) us in that, uh, you can head to at NTT20Pod on Twitter or Facebook and you'll find the link to vote there. But generally, we are really excited. We're really happy. Um, We hope that you guys have enjoyed listening to this And we hope that there will be 50 more for you to listen to in the coming months, years, etc.